Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Yeah, welcome to the Bleachers. It is going to be an interesting Bleacher Blums, to say the least. Uh, I know that I haven't seen these guys in a couple of days. So much has happened over the weekend. And uh, we're going to kick this one off because what's on tap brought to you by St. Arnold's going to have all kinds of uh, fun stuff. I know the Tuttle's pretty fired up. Uh, we got leadoff lyrics. We had a couple of good guesses on uh, some tough songs last week, and we are going to give them a shout out. And hopefully by the point we do that, that I will be more than prepared to give some lyrics. I have to uh, browse the interweb <laughs> again to maybe give some of those because I am ill-prepared because there's been so many other things going on. So uh, St. Arnold is going to bring us who's hot, who's not. Uh, we've got some f- fam fantasy football team names. I think Tuttle's done some digging and maybe going to poach a couple of those titles because fantasy football names are always exciting. Uh, the NBA finals are uh, going on, and I, I haven't been paying too much attention, to be honest. I might tell you why. And uh, something happened in the game on Sunday for the Astros. I had a very, very visceral reaction to it and parts I got right, parts I got wrong. And I'm going to tell you what I got wrong later on in this podcast. But Tuttle, man, what's going on with you, brother? What's up, dude? Nice lead off right there. That was good. I just threw all that stuff at you. Uh, nothing. I, you know, it's funny. Visceral is a good word. I, I think, um, you know, I sent you some topics kind of that I wrote down during the week, but I think that as happens in any of these kind of, uh, forums or uh, modalities i mean there's things that just jump to the top and i think um i definitely think the incident that you had a visceral reaction to as i read more about it obviously i wasn't there but man i mean just you know it kind of goes back to our conversation before you know what what what's your role and all of that so we'll get into that but uh yeah i'm doing well uh the summer has started so i got a house full of quiet people nice and uh i'm probably gonna wake him up a little bit with the podcast you know it's funny alfred ruins our podcast often but he won't wake the kids up i'm like why why is that how, how is that possible but yeah we need to talk to alfred about that man be that human alarm <laughs> clock dude let's go yeah anyway well welcome home blum you're home i, I look at your background oh. and i see you home and it's it's been a long road trip and i'm glad to uh i don't know like you said now the summer started you get to hang with your family after you hang out with us for an hour or so yeah, no, it's good to be back. Obviously, 11 days, nine games, it's extremely long. It's crazy that, uh, that that the schedule has worked out the way it is. And if you had been watching a couple of broadcasts there in Kansas City, um, you know, we, we kind of you know, reveled at the, the fact that the Astros have played so well on the road. They, they are an extremely good team on the road, and thankfully that they are because they have played 34 road games so far. That's almost half their schedule on the road has gotten out of the way in the first two months of the season. It was crazy, and I kind of uh, I had took a little jab at Rob Manfred because, you know, sometimes the teams that are better usually get uh, tougher schedules the following year. The Astros, obviously, are one of the better teams, and then you add on to that how Manford feels about the organization and he puts them on the road for three out of the first four road trips are are nine game road trips and three city road trips and I just kind of said man Rob Manford must be sitting at home going dang it that totally backfired so uh credit to I the can't Astros wait let me jump this. in here if you think <laughs> Rob Manford's making the schedule and staying awake at night now I'm not saying he goes out of his way to help the Astros but man that's it that's it where I think we're taking a new leap here that he's at home but I but I will support what you I just said more which than is you do. oh yes you do okay <laughs> well there you go and that's what I like to hear so we'll have to talk about that over a beer on a not hot mic um I I do <laughs> I will say to your point, though, and this is where where you speak the truth or drop the truth bomb, is that they are definitely, it definitely backfired. So whether it's intentional or not, when you can come out of, uh, you know, half your road games, like you said, more than half your road games in the first two months of the year in first place and flying high and playing really good baseball. Dude, I mean, like you said, the world's your oyster and the and the rest of the season looks, uh, looks uh, smooth and flat. I know. And it can be tilted in one way. Obviously, I'm a conspiracy theorist when it comes to the Astros and why there's so many road games and not none of these other teams have had it this early in the season, but they've fought through it. It's been a lot of fun. You know, summertime is great uh, for most families, <laughs> but being a ball player, I mean, now that you're out of the game, you've been out of the game for a while. Is there a certain is there a certain 
you know, when I was a kid, we had a family trip and usually it was just drive up the coast of California, you know, uh, San Luis Obispo, Salinas, catch some of these spots. Uh, Pismo Beach was a big one for us. Was there anything in your childhood that you did, Tuttle, as a, as a family? And is there anything that you're continuing to, or starting with your family that you have for a summer vacation tradition that maybe everybody looks forward to? Yeah. So I remember we've talked about this a little bit before. Our, our My great-grandfather built a cabin on the coast up in Northern California as well. So that's nice. a tradition. Now, the odd thing is we kind of, everybody in the family, and I mean everybody, cousins, uncles, like people that you didn't know were in the family that got divorced, <laughs> but they were cool people. They get away. So we all get to share the cabin. So it's not, you know, you don't charge rent for it, but you're scrapping you got a ta- family timeshare. Yeah, it's a family timeshare, but man, it gets it gets harder to get than just saying, <laughs> "Hey, let's drop down a deposit and go." So, but actually, we chose this year to do it during Thanksgiving. But that doesn't behoove the, or that doesn't that doesn't discount what you said. The question of um, going. I mean, I, we start. I started that going there. My great grandfather built it in 1947. I want to say, and wow. we. I've been going like every. Like right, hands, he built like, it, built it. Yeah, wow. it's still a cabin. We've reinforced it a little, but like no That's TV. Awesome. It's got Wi-Fi, a kitchen. You know, it's got two parts. You can sleep about ten people if you need to, and it's right, right in the ocean there, up in uh, cold northern California, southern uh, Santa Cruz. Sorry, um, but but what I was going to say is that that's exactly that's exactly why it's fun. To your point, and I think this is mm-hmm. where you're going. It's a tradition. I mean, I went, we lived on the East Coast growing up for quite a bit. My family, my nuclear family, a lot of our family was West Coast. And we still made it out every year for a week or two to go to that beach house starting when I was eight or nine years old. So now my kids get to go there every year, same thing for a week. And so it's something that's been ingrained in me, in my brother, and then now our kids. And it's become a great tradition. So we're not going this summer. Um, we're going during Thanksgiving because more family can get together, but we get our week and it's a tradition and we have a couple other things planned for the summer. What about you? I know you've tried to, you're very good at this. We've talked about elf on a shelf before. We've talked about some things that Mm -hmm. you've really tried. I think it was the golden egg at Easter with the money in it. Um, you're, you and Corey are awesome at this, but you guys must have not just a vacation tradition, but something else going on too. So I'd love to hear that. Yeah, we we've actually tried to do do as much as we can during the summer. Obviously, when I'm pl- when I was playing years ago, decade ago, uh, it was a little bit different because I didn't have the length of breaks or I couldn't request the days off when I was a player. But now, being a broadcaster, they want to give us days off so we can request days off. And TK and I have worked pretty good at the fact that we can ask for a couple days off and coordinate our schedules so that we can take a lengthier amount of time off. And usually, not this year necessarily, but in the years past, I've taken three days off either before the All-Star break or after the All-Star break. So it's allowed me a good seven to nine days, depending on how many days off we're in between. And we usually go to Lake Havasu. We've got uh, my father and mother-in-law live out in Lake Havasu. They've got a beautiful house out there right on the lake and they have a boat. So we usually go out to Lake Havasu and that's kind of been our trip. Um, but I think it's going to alter a little bit. I think Corey's still going out there with the girls, but now we focused a little bit more these last couple of summers and you'll, you'll figure this out too soon with all your kids getting ready for colleges. We're doing college visits. We, you know, in the past we, we did the Texas A&M, the Sam Houston's, the UT's, the, you know, university of Arkansas, we went over it in Thanksgiving, but you know, that that's how it is now. It's like, now our planning is around what the kids might possibly want to do. And fortunately they've picked some pretty cool cities where you can kind of go like if, you know, I think one of our daughters is thinking about ASU or uh, Point Loma in San Diego. So we're like, oh, let's go check that out. That'll be really tough. You know, so (laughs) hopefully it kind of lends itself to a mini vacation as we're actually going out there and and trying to to scout schools, so to speak. Nice. So Point Loma, uh, when you head out here, that's that's an excellent school. So I'd love to uh, love to hear more about that. So. Before we get too deep into this, we should probably do lead off lyrics since it's uh, going to lead off the show, right? So why don't we uh, why don't we head into that? Yep, I will go first. Are you still going to peruse the interwebs while we go? No, I think I'm ready. I'm going to go with a pretty oh, okay. simple one this time around. But right. uh, we cool. got to give a shout out, obviously, oh, yeah. to who gave us the. Uh, okay, so who figured out yeah. what songs we were uh, talking about last time out and lead off lyrics? It's the allist. I believe I'm saying that right. Phila. So at A-L-L-P-H-I-L-L-A is who this is. All 
fella guessed that Tuttle's song last week was No Shelter by Rage Against the Machine. And then I went a little more obscure and went Monster Magnet with the song Heads Explode. So congratulations to At All Phila for guessing the leadoff lyrics and Tuttle. Now that we got the business out of the way, it's your, you're, you're up. Yeah. You know what's funny about that is the, uh, I mean, Monster Magnet to me is a one hit wonder. I still listen to that yeah. same song, but you went, like you said, you went a little deep in the, uh, in the archives for them. So you liked the band and picked a song that you didn't, you know. That's a little yeah, less. Yeah, I feel like they uh, had one decent album, a couple of good songs, and that was about it. But every time it comes yeah. on, I can't turn it off. Nope, I agree. Hey, so mine this week, so we're sticking rock. Somebody wants us to go country, but I think it might be a few years before we get to the country lyrics. This is a, a rock band from a, a popular city. We'll say that, but maybe a little less obscure or a little more obscure and a little older. So anyway, <clears throat> let me get my fireside voice going. Hmm. I love this part. You sound so good. Oh, well, for once. Uh, here we go. All right. So now maybe I didn't mean to treat you bad, but I did it anyway. And then maybe some would say your life was sad, but you lived it anyway. And so maybe your friends, they stand around, they watch you crumble as you falter to the ground. And then someday your friends, they stand beside you as you were flying, flying oh so high. Ooh. I think you know that. Sounds delicious. Could you guess that one? I bet you could. I, I kind of felt it like the, maybe uh, about the second or third stanza. All right. Cool. Or, or, all right. Maybe, uh, I, maybe I read too much. I gave away too much. All right, oh, Blubber. I gave away too much. That's part of the fun, yeah. though. You're just trying to trigger memory or trigger somebody's <laughs> a, a, a knowledge of music. So if you know the, you the name of that song, if you know the artist, make sure you go to at Bleacher Blums, tell us who you think it is. And if you figure out mine also, get on Bleacher, at Bleacher Blums and let us know so that we can give you a shout out on the Bleacher Blums podcast. And <clears throat> I'm ready. <laughs> Here we go. Dealing out the agony within. Charging hard and no one's going to give in. Living on your knees, conformity. Or dying on your feet for honesty. Inbred, our bodies work as one. Bloody but never cry submission. Following our instinct, not a trend. Go against the grain until the end. Ooh. If you know who that is, make sure you go to at Bleacher Blums. Tell us who you think that lyricist is and who sang that song. And we'll give you a shout out on the Bleacher Blums podcast. We appreciate you for playing leadoff lyrics with us. Nice, Blummer. A little fun with that one. A little anger with some pleasant tone. <laughs> you always have some, yeah, it's like a pleasant tone. And then you always issues. have some dark... There's always blood and <laughs> like buried and something else in there. I don't know. All right. So where do we go from here? We already hit the lead what off. What do you got? Do you want to do, do a little who's hot, who's not? Mine are pretty simple. Yeah, yeah. Let's do who's hot, who's not. Uh, who's hot? The Astros. The Astros. We talked <laughs> about them being on the road. It's, it's insane. Homer. I can't. Yeah, I am a complete homer, and it, and it's crazy to me. I mean, it'd be the other easy thing would be to say the Yankees because the Yankees are absolutely insane. I mean, I feel like every time that I look up the standings and the Yankees are on there, they're obviously they're, they they have a similar lead in their division with the Blue Jays playing a little bit better. But every time I look up, they're one six. Their last ten, they're eight and two. But uh, they they've been at home or they're playing against the Detroit Tigers, so I kind of discount that a little bit here recently. Uh, the Astros finally have a cushy schedule, even though they're on the road. But I'm really impressed with them being on the road, and the reason I picked them for being hot, as I look through some of the standings, the only other team that has 20 wins on the road are the San Diego Padres. But still, the Astros are leading on on the road with 21 wins. They only have 13 losses. And they're leading their division by eight and a half. That's That actually is a hint at who I'm going to go at as far as who's not because it's a complete other end of the spectrum on the not team. But I'm going to wait because I'm kind of curious to see or, see who's hot for Tuttle. Yeah. So our not is the same. So we can dive into that. But, <laughs> we can uh, just bury them. But yeah, that's right. We'll just bury them. But my who's hot is a player, not a team, which was uh, Goldschmidt, Ooh. Paul Goldschmidt. Dude, so beast. love that guy. The Cardinals are fairly hot. I know you probably know Goldie because he was a Diamondback. He had just hit the Diamondback organization when I left. And then you were obviously there probably at the same time as he was coming up. But yep. he was notorious like when he first came up as a guy who – kind of hit his own way, right? It's like seeing a golf swing. They're like, mm -hmm. you can't hit like that. He had, a, you know, kind of an awkward swing, and he, this is the way he did it. 
but man, you know, he hit 400 in the minor leagues and like, all right, well, we got to call him up. And then he just kind of <laughs> kept going. But uh, this weekend, he ended a 25 game hitting streak on Sunday, I believe. Let's see. No, yesterday was Sunday. So Saturday is 25 game hitting streak ended. And then on Sunday, he went like three for four. So, um, you know, maybe the streak died at 25, but um, they yeah. put up his numbers this year. Uh, I'm sorry, this last month of June. No, May. Sorry, May. They put up Stan Musial, Musial's numbers against his, and he had the best month probably of all time in a Cardinals uniform. I think he hit 407, Damn. 10 home runs, 27 or 33 ribbies. Like, I mean, Stan Musial, I think, had a month of 390. So he hit 407 in the month of May, which uh, I think is pretty good. So I'm going to say Paul Goldschmidt is your who's hot and, uh, and I think it translates well for the Cardinals because we've talked about the Cardinals, gosh, ad nauseum on this podcast. They are always in the mix, right? You have the Brewers are supposed to run away with, um, you know, that division. And the Cardinals are just kind of do-do-do-do. They're hanging on <laughs> and they keep bringing out Wainwright. I'm like, Wainwright? There's another Still. number 50 on the Cardinals? I'm like, nope, seven innings. He gave up eight hits yesterday. Didn't strike out anybody. Two earned runs. Like, I'll, He's I go back to the man. big I mean, it's unbelievable. So, anyway, oh. I just go with the the Goldschmidt-led Cardinals are kind of, you know, they're they're a little less hot than the Yankees and the Astros, let's be honest. But, man, that mm-hmm. I, I, I'm i going to be looking for the Cardinals to kind of be where they always are at the end of the year. Yeah, and Paul Goldschmidt, just to kind of bring this all back to Texas, he's a Woodlands guy. He went to Texas State. I did play with him when he was a rookie in Arizona, so I have an affinity for him. But also keeping it with Texas State, where he played at, Texas State in the NCAA regional knocked out Stanford. So take that, the freaking trees. Texas yeah. State going out there and and beating them up and and knocking them out. So it all comes for full circle back to Texas for uh, for Paul Goldschmidt Texas, and our who's hot. To you. Yeah, I'm all in. But uh, that brings us to who's not and who wants to go first at burying what might be one of the worst teams in the last two weeks. Well, why don't I go first? Because it will look like you're a real big homer if you go first. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so true. I Shockingly. think we're both gonna we're both gonna say the Angels. The Angels are terrible. Woo, woo, they stink. And it's funny because about three podcasts ago, you were saying, "Remember, the Angels were either in first place by a game or a half a game." And the Astros yeah, was hadn't like, dude, really. This is what we thought. Yeah, and it was kind of like, hey, they got Rendon, they got Trout, they got Otani, they got some guy, you know, Taylor Ward, who you'd never heard of, who. By the way, this co- coincides with probably the who's not, but he's now on the IL. He went on the IL yesterday. So you're like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, but he's hitting 300 with 10 home runs. So, I mean, they have the squad to put together, but, you know, maybe again, this is another off microphone topic because you'd mentioned, I think, uh, Joe Madden has this great re- reputation as a player's manager. And, you know, the quotes mm-hmm. that are coming out of there. Now are pretty positive. He's saying that he likes the team, but man, they've lost eleven in a row. They were up eight to two the other day in Philadelphia in the eighth inning, or six to two, eight to two, or six to two, one of the two. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and they got smoked. So uh, you know, when you lose eleven in a row, and Mike Trout's on your team, and Otani's on your team, um, it doesn't seem like there's any savior, or any help coming along soon. So let's let what say you? Who's not hot, Blum? <sighs> Man, well, I, if we were going to go individually, you could probably pick on a on a Mike Trout. Amazingly enough, I couldn't believe uh, that he is in the the stretch he is in. Let's see, in the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games he's played. Let me pull it up real quick. The Angels are O for their last eleven. Now Mike Trout is currently O for twenty six. With nine strikeouts during that stretch, the Angels' starting pitchers have a 7.55 ERA in the last 11 games. And to Tuttle's point, their bullpen also has a 6.07 ERA. And as a team, they're hitting 225. So it's this absolute storm of bad has hit the Los Angeles Angels. And to the point that beginning the month of May, I believe they had a game and a half or two and a half game lead on the Astros in the West. As it stands right now, the Astros have an eight and a half game lead on the West over the Angels. 
I mean, that is an amazing turn of events. I mean, it is easy to pick on them just because they're bad, but it's also within the division. So it's even more glaring and a little more obvious for me to see that. But it was just shocking to me to see the guy like Mike Trout, uh, how he can have an impact on a game, both positively. And we're finding out now negatively too, because if he's not going in the middle part of that offense, whew, there's not many other options. Yeah, and here out on the left coast, I mean, I, I get a little more angel news than I want. But I mean, first of all, it's the <laughs> longest, it's his longest hitless streak of his career, of course. I mean, he's one mm -hmm. of the best players of all time. Um, we can tie it to the fact that he had to do a press conference about being a fantasy football commissioner, which Oh, since that the, oh yeah. Yeah, you can tie it to that. And then there was one other thing that I was gonna that about the was it about the commissioner? No, anyway, but I mean, oh, more swings and misses. They 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 were, yeah, you know, surprisingly. There's so many friggin' statistics out there. You would appreciate this for your broadcast, you and TK. But they were just talking about actual swings and misses. So Shohei Otani, same thing from a pitching standpoint, had like 75 swings and misses in his first month, and then in the last two starts, he's had like zero swings and misses at any pitches Oof. i mean it's kind of like whoa is the velocity down or is he not hitting his spots anyway there's just so many statistics that keep crawling out and when you're going well it's like hey great all these statistics <laughs> kind of line up but when you're not going well they're looking at you know his longest hitless streak you know the longest oh this is the other stat i was gonna say they've had two team meetings players only oh, no. meetings oh no that's come out yeah like oh no <laughs> <laughs> like that's the the alarm sounds when it's like yeah we're gonna have a players only meeting you're like oh brother like and now is the bullpen blaming the starters your era seven ours is only six and a half you're like it can't be it can't be going well in that clubhouse and i don't know how they're gonna get it turned around so i mean you've been on good and bad teams what do you think is oh, the man. i mean like what 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 can be said if you've already had two players only meetings and you have Otani and Rendon and Trout on your team you just got to let those guys play right i don't know oh no i think it, it, ultimately i think you're right i think it just comes down to letting those guys play i don't you know player i've had players meetings where it's been everybody yells at everybody and then Ugh. i've had players meetings where you get in and yell about the the coaches and you're like play we're playing in spite of them instead of despite them you know it's like but then there's also team meetings where you're like, man, boys, we're better than this. Let's keep it going. And you're rah-rah pumping each other up. So I don't, yeah. you know, I, I I would like to think I know what's going on in that clubhouse. But I, one thing I do know, and I think we both agree on this, is these guys are way too good to be that bad. That's what is weird to me because when the Astros, like a team like the Astros who have very good players and have bad stretches, they usually have a way of fighting their way through some tough games and winning, yeah. finding a way to win them. I haven't seen that with the Angels. Like even the Yankees, they'll have some tight games, some tough games, but they'll find a way to fight through it. You know, whether the offense isn't performing the way they want and the pitching picks them up or pitching gives it up and then the offense picks them up. So it really, there hasn't been that continuity, I think, in uh, for the Angels that maybe they were anticipating. I don't know. And I mean, it, it, there's still eight and a half games back, but there's plenty of season left. We're two months in. Well, yeah, and we said this about the Reds a couple podcasts ago when they had won three games, and now at least they've <laughs> righted the ship and they're playing regular baseball. So there's a lot of season left, but I think you touched on two good points. One is the Astros have played a lot of road games, and now they're going to get some more home games. That division um, is going to be tough for the you know for the Angels to make up any ground. But like you said, they have a bunch of good players, and you just got to let them play. So speaking of who's hot, who's not, we're going to hear who's hot from our uh, sponsors right now on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we'll be right back. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts that help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. 
Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone. Bleacher Blums. Uh, We're in the bleachers again. Blums finally home. Uh, you can reach Blummer at Blummer27 on Instagram and Twitter. Myself at Real David Tuttle on Instagram and Twitter. At Bleacher Blums on Instagram, I believe, um, and Twitter, probably there. And then BleacherBlums.com if you need any merchandise, anything like that. So we're Bleacher Blums all over the place. You can hear our podcast anywhere you download podcasts, as you guys know. And um, the next topic du jour is uh, the Ryan Presley incident in Kansas City. And so we talked about who's hot, who's not. I think, um, unfortunately, as being an ex-pitcher and an ex-hitter or a pitcher and a hitter by nature, um, the umpires haven't been too hot in our minds anyway. But uh, <laughs> but this is a whole nother incident. So you teased it in the in the outset and yeah. uh, the uh, uh, what's on tap brought to you by St. Arnold, but I wanted to know what was your visceral reaction and then what did you get right? What did you get wrong? And, you know, what do we need to do going forward? Yeah, that's kind of the beauty of having this podcast too, is you have a voice to be able to say, hey, check out what we got right. We've done that before on this podcast. And this is an opportunity to say, maybe I was a little too hard on Vic Carapaza because I was partially wrong because I'm, I'm, I'm going on my experience. I'm going on my emotion as I'm calling this game. And I got the part wrong where I said openly that I did not think that Ryan Presley was throwing at Michael Taylor. So let me set up the incident. <laughs> Over the weekend, the Astros uh, had Jeremy Pena hit twice. And then Jordan Alvarez was hit by a slider. So three hitters were hit. And let me also preface this by... There were two series previously in the season, again, three a three-game series against the Boston Red Sox where three Astro hitters got hit. And there was also a series, I believe the Oakland series right before we got here, three Astro hitters got hit. In those two previous series, nothing happened. Nobody threw at anybody. Nobody tried to get retribution for those three guys that got hit. But apparently there was, a, a, there was an opportunity to seek retribution against the Kansas City Royals who are not a very good team. The Astros were beating. And in the ninth inning, Ryan, the closer, Ryan Presley, comes in in a 7-3 to three game and gets proceeds to get two outs. He's one out away from getting out of that game and getting everybody on a flight home to Houston. And first pitch inside, second pitch inside, third pitch inside. And Vic Carapaza comes out from behind home plate. And I'm sitting there going, Vic Carapaza, get back behind the plate. This is ridiculous. There is no way anybody is throwing. He didn't hit anybody. Taylor. Why are we coming out? You know, I always assume that when you hit somebody, then you come out and you're like, give your warnings. Okay, that's it. Everybody's done. And then we move on with the game. The runner goes to first base. Nobody's charging the mound. And the message has been sent that you hit the player because of the three, the two, uh, three other guys that you felt shouldn't have been hit. And you move on with the game. But Vic Carapaza, this is where I got upset, is that he came out for nobody getting hit. And I lost my mind. I was like, are you kidding me right now? You are interrupting the game to make this game about you and what you think is happening. It turns out that he, he was right about what was happening. But the fact that the warnings were given with nobody being hit blew my mind. So I lost it. I said it was embarrassing. Maybe it's less embarrassing now because the quotes that came out after the game, because I assumed that they were not throwing at Michael A. Taylor because in my experience, and I don't know how you feel about this, Tuttle, because you've probably been asked or you probably felt like you needed to hit somebody. But Jeremy Pena got hit twice, who's a Rookie of the Year candidate. Jordan Alvarez, the best hitter in the Astros lineup, got hit by a slider. And the retribution was against the ninth hitter in the ninth inning of a four-run lead. I didn't, I don't understand. I, I was It wasn't computing to me. It didn't add up in my mind. And again, these are my opinions. That's why I said at the time that I didn't think he was hitting Michael A. Taylor. I looked at my scorecard. The previous inning, you could th- there was every opportunity for Hector Neris to hit Bobby Witt Jr. And I think that would have been the message that would have said, okay, we need to be a little more accurate with our pitches because now they're hitting our superstar. Or you wait until July because there's another series coming up with the Kansas City Royals. And you pick a spot to hit Whit Merrifield. You pick a spot to hit Salvador Perez. You pick a spot to hit Bobby Witt Jr. And then you have the message sent. I was not 
in the thought process that that was the time or the guy to hit. That was my mistake. That that was me not being in tune with what the Astros were thinking and because I sit in a booth. But I was very upset at Vic Carapaza taking it upon himself to interject himself in the game and, and put Brian Presley in a situation to get ejected. That's where I got upset. I was like, dude, this guy is warning both teams. The Astros didn't get their opportunity to, to get back at the Royals for hitting three of their guys. And you pissed off Ryan Presley, who proceeded to get ejected. Ah, that frustrated me. So I read the quotes today. Phil Maton came out and said that he, that they were throwing at him, which I don't know if that was recommended or not, but that kind of puts a serious bullet hole in my theory that they were not throwing at Michael A. Taylor. So I am here in a mea culpa saying I was wrong. They were throwing at him. That was the situation, and I hope everybody has a better understanding of how I feel. I'm not sure what you saw or what you thought or how you, you know, what what your experience has been, Tuttle. Yeah, but your, I mean, your opinion is still. So this is a young team and a young bullpen, like you said. What Maton said about actually doing it. I, I remember the unwritten rules. What are you talking about? I wasn't throwing at him. I do think also. I mean, the Jordan thing. Granted, you know, got a big extension, contract extension. We know what is 162. He was going for the cycle when they hit him, but I mean, that yeah. that shouldn't have anything to do. But with But that it. was I also mean, a slider, is my point. He hit him with a yeah. slider. It's kind of like. So throw that one away, and then you brought up the other series where guys got hit and they didn't do anything and guys got hit. I mean, these guys have to figure out when to do it. And the other thing is, all right, two outs, you got a decent lead, you got Presley in there. You try once, you try twice, That then it's over. You missed him. Like, like let's go get the guy out. So, I mean, that's that's an aside to what you're saying. But, that, like, that's, but that, that's why I appreciate you saying it, because that's more of the pitcher mentality, you right. know. And th- yeah, that's what I, that's where I got lost in the situation is because he right. didn't hit him the first two pitches, three pitches, right. whatever. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. You get a chance. like So that was the other thing that came out. The article I read was Michael A. Taylor looked at Maldonado and said, oh, you guys must be upset. Like, why are you throwing <laughs> at me? Because the third, second or third pitch, he looked at Maldonado mm-hmm. And said, hey, but Maldonado, this is cool. This is the good stuff you can get after, too. You guys have those, they all have the wristbands now. And Maldonado showed Carapazzo the scouting report. This is all while they're in the box. And he's like, look, <laughs> he, he pulled back. No, seriously, Taylor stepped out and he pulled back cool. the thing and said, look, throw inside. We've got to throw this guy inside. So he has the notes there that say, we got to throw this guy inside. But to your point, Maton put a little hole in there by saying, uh, we were actually trying to do it. And then you're like, okay, well, you tried once, you tried twice, you missed the third time. You know, like you said, you can give Carapazzo the benefit of the doubt that, okay, he figured out, he sniffed it out, like what's going on here? They're trying to hit him. And his job is to say, hey, look, we can't injure anybody. And maybe they should have moved on, but he should have, he could have gone out to the mound actually and just said something without warning both benches or without making a big deal about it. This is that old bait thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't think Carapazzo handled it well, even though he kind of figured out what was up, right? When they had the umpires meeting, I just, you know, the game's out. Anyway, the game should have been over. Like you said, you're one strike away or one, you know, one hit, uh, one out away from getting on that plane. And it just kind of made a, a mockery or a circus of what was going on. But I, you know, there's a, when something like this happens, this always reminds me of, uh, of uh, Gladwell's books, right? Which is, he had a chapter about he no he had a chapter about the plane crash. No, it's true. Um, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So it's never one thing. It's a whole bunch of little things that add up. Yes. So it was like, yeah, they were trying to hit him, but they missed him three times. You know, and it's like <laughs> then Maldonado and Taylor and the umpire were having a conversation about the scouting report, and then you know, and then Carapazzo th- said, "Well, I've heard what I've heard. Let me get the umpires together and let's warn both benches." And you know, so it's all of those things leading up to a guy just trying to close out a game with a lot of emotion that probably led to this. And I, I want to just finish with one last thing about what you said. The way to do this, I mean, is this new school, old school? Are we, these are the people that are the baristas at Starbucks. Is this Gen Z or Gen X or millennials? Why can't they hit the right guy? Like you said, look, you hit Alvarez. We got to hit a superstar next time. Like that's the way it's always been, which you just brought up. Like, that's, why are we trying to hit the ninth problem, hitter with yeah. two outs in the ninth? Like, geez. Yeah. 
No, but that, and, and maybe, maybe it is different now. I don't know. Maybe you just send the message and move on with things, but you know, that's where I kind of sit back sometimes and I'm not second guessing myself because, you know, I can't change who I am. I call the game the way I am. I'm going to react the way I do. I'm, I'm going to say I'm wrong when I'm wrong. I'm going to, uh, you know, and I'm just going to move on. But you know, this is all a learning experience for me, but maybe, maybe that's how it is now. I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm not in the skulls of those guys that are going on. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be on the field. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to ask them. I'm going to see what they were thinking. But I mean, that's kind of the beauty of baseball is you can have these conversations, hopefully. But, uh, you know, obviously I was wrong and my mentality on how to handle the situation is completely different. Yeah. And like you said, wrong is a, is a strong, I don't know. I mean, I bet if you could get Bagwell or Berkman or any of those guys in the uh, in the booth, just like you are, I think they would have had a similar reaction to you. And I think this more has to do with some sort of generational understanding. And honestly, I mean, you know, sometimes guys, you know, they get frustrated by being hit. Or like you said, this brought up, this was three series in a row where you guys had three guys hit and the other team had nobody hit. Like, it's almost mm-hmm. like wrong play, Michael A. Taylor's wrong place, wrong time. Like, we just need to hit <laughs> somebody. Like, we haven't hit anybody, you know? It's like... Maybe that's what it was. Who knows? Exactly. Yeah. And maybe Presley was doing it on his own. Like maybe, like Maton did say they were trying to hit him, but when he stormed out of the bullpen, he's like, "Oh, I gotta, I gotta dose somebody." Like you just never know. Mm-hmm. You just never know what was going on. And you know, I, I no. wouldn't, I wouldn't put this on you by saying you're wrong. I guess on live television, you know, you're gonna have your reaction, and that's what they pay you for. I mean, you're an ex player and an ex big leaguer, and you know, you have been in those situations before. So, yeah. But I mean, I feel like now gone through this and here, I may just pull, I mean, I don't want to pull back a lot, but I may pull back (laughs) a little bit and just be like, Hey, they're doing whatever they feel is necessary. So that's what happened. I hope it explains it a little bit better, but we are again, 162 game schedule. You're going to have these moments. You're going to move on from them. Yeah. I'm sure you didn't get a lot of grief about it. All right. Let's lighten the mood a little bit. I was listening to another sports show, sports show this week, and it was really interesting. (gasps) They had Bill Hader on, uh, Bill Hader was on, um, the Rich Eisen show and Bill Hader is one of my favorites. I mean, I've told you before, he does such great voice impressions and he's that Barry show, which is pretty dark on HBO. I, I watched a series of that with Henry <laughs> Winkler, but now I'm like over it. I can't handle it anymore. But he said the talk on the set was all about the Tommy Pham, Jock Peterson I- incident. And he's like, he goes, that's a Saturday Night Live skit that writes itself. Because it's like third grade. He goes, did you see Jock Peterson with his bleached hair and his like sideways hat? That He could have been a third grader. Like, uh-huh. This is what he said. And this is tech. It was so funny. But because they, they were saying that's all they're talking about on set. Like people that don't like sports are like, can you believe it? He slapped them over the fantasy football thing. But they did team names. They came up. So I'm not going to take credit for these. But I thought... Maybe oh, I can't just wait like, to hear these. Just like we did leadoff lyrics, they were like, "Hey, there should be some Tommy Fam fantasy football names." So I, I'm going to read a couple, and then we can think about them in the same way we look at um, like leadoff lyrics. Maybe each week we can come up with a a Tommy <laughs> Fam fantasy football name. So Rich <laughs> Eisen had a bunch, good. but one was a uh, Family Feud. P H A M I. So Family Feud. That's that's a good Touché. one. Yeah, the play on words. Was, uh, I like it. Wham, bam, thank you, fam. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> um, I got two more. Um, fam goes the dynamite. Oh, was one I like that. And then this one I like, silence of the fams. I thought that was good. So, <laughs> anyway, so maybe we could put that out there for our le- uh, listening audience. I mean, wow. Rich Eisen, I got to give him credit for that. But uh, Rich Eisen and those guys were going off and, and, um, and uh, Bill Hader, they just said, this is like the most fascinating, captivating, this fantasy football thing. And the fact that Mike Trout had to have a press conference. But uh, anyway, Blum, do you can you think of one off the top of your head? Or is this something that you guys have talked about at all since the incident? Or no, just gone, gone by the wayside? I haven't gone that deep in it. I wish I would have caught yeah. this article or heard that show because uh, that is priceless. You know, and that's, uh, that's obviously... They're comedians or, oh, you know, yeah. their show is kind of geared to that. You know, like I would have never, yeah. fam is such a good, <laughs> good plug and play word. Yeah. You know, yeah. cause I mean, cause yeah. gosh, I mean, that's yeah. well done. I mean, yeah. Well, like you said, little, family feud. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, you can play off the fam, the bam. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. 
there's all yeah. kinds of other things. I, you know, yeah. uh, gosh, but it would take me some time to come up. Yeah. Well, I don't want to put you on the spot. Well, let's let's think of a couple names each. Like maybe each podcast will come up with one and keep it going throughout the year. The other thing I wanted to say that maybe is funnier is. He's right. Like in the old, like everyone's so professional. Jock Peterson, like if you saw a Saturday Night Live character, like with bleached hair and a hat and like talking like a little kid, they're like, he looked like a third grader. So basically he got slapped on the playground <laughs> and now he's got his phone out and like they, they, they set up that scene really, really well. But yeah, it was, uh, it was, it's, that's, that's been captivating, I guess the, uh, that's the gift industry. that keeps on giving, you know? Oh, yeah. For sure. Oh man, yeah, you're right yeah. though. I mean, if you if you would have dropped them down and put them in sixth grade, you, you've heard this story before, isn't it? Funny oh, that yeah. we like that playground incident is still happening. Yeah. Well, and maybe we could go back to the the Ryan Presley throwing at the guy. Like, yeah, well, he threw at one of our guys. We're going to throw at him. Like, <laughs> that's what people think about the unwritten rules, anyway. But yeah, we yeah they do some some of these. Uh, you brought up the word visceral. I like that word. But some of these reactions aren't always well thought out. They're just kind of reactions. So um, my favorite question in the Trout press conference was, hey, Mike, uh, do you think you're going to be the uh, commissioner next year for this fantasy football league? It's like, how is a how is a multi-million dollar baseball player answering questions like this during the middle of a baseball season, like you said, when they're in the middle of a, a, a you know, a bad streak is just beyond me. So that 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 gave me a laugh. So maybe we can get the listeners involved here instead of just lead off lyrics. Let's come up with some uh, Tommy Fam fantasy football names, and we can do maybe one a week until the uh, season starts. So I got to put my thinking cap on and get a few as well. But I stole those, but they are funny. We should do that. So fans, I hope you do go to Appalachia Blums and give us some ideas for fantasy football team names. And I tell you what. We may have we may have a little bit of a ranking system, or go through some of the best, and then eventually, I, I'm going to say right now that I probably will use the best one to name my fantasy football team this season. My other question is, you know, most of these fantasy football teams, what's the what's the biggest league you've played in? I mean, the biggest one I've played in is I think 12 teams. Have you played in any bigger than that? No, it's always ten. I like ten for some reason. Well, because you get good know. draft picks in a ten team league. Twelve, you kind exactly. of stretch it a little bit. And you have, yeah. you got to be better on the waiver wire. I feel like later in the rounds and stuff. But that's yeah. what I want to know. If it's a t- if it say it's a twelve team league, Mike Trout is running this league. How do you get an invitation? And what's the what's the uh, Annie to get into this yeah. thing? I well, mean, it's we knew be what. And if you're slapping 10. people, is it like is it ten grand? Ten grand. They came that okay. that actual the actual number came out. And so oh, I is thought you knew money? the numbers. I mean, is that is that slap money for so, you? Ten grand. I don't think the 10 grand is slap money. I think so. This is, there's two things here. And I'll tell you, I, I guess this did go by the wayside because I, I've, I tried to ignore it and I kept hearing the little scuttlebutt. So it's a 10 grand buy in for 12 guys. So it's a $120,000 pot, obviously. The last place finisher has to pay another 10 grand. Like they don't have to get a tattoo oh, yeah. or anything, but they're a 10 grand. So the loser's a ten, another 10 grand out. So, you could look at it because Fam dropped out after five weeks because he felt like he was against it. So he was twenty grand in the hole, and Ooh, not so liking that, that Jock Peterson. Money. Yeah, Jock Peterson was rubbing his nose in it a little bit. At least the yeah, Padres' nose in it. So it's a twenty thousand dollar slap, I guess, if you want to look at it that way. <laughs> but like you said, how do you get an invite? I mean, you know, I guess if you said, "Hey, I got ten grand here, and I'm willing to pay twenty, then you know, you could probably well, I get in. I there's a lot of guys across the big leagues that have that kind of money. Easy. Oh yeah, no, I I would agree. I mean, I don't think that's a problem. I mean, now at this stage of life, my wife would be like, "What? <laughs> twenty thousand oh, yeah. dollars? We're paying for college, you know, Excuse right? But yeah, but it's only twenty grand. Yeah, um, but I have anyway. the chance to win a hundred grand. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that." Um, anyway, so yeah, so it was a, I would say it was more, yeah, 10, like you said, in the big leagues, eh, but it's a $20,000 slap when you're getting your nose rubbed in it. You know, I think yeah. that's probably, probably, I don't know if it's warranted, but it's certainly understandable. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do you got on the NBA finals? Have you been oh, watching? Yeah, yeah. I know you're a Golden State guy. Yeah, I, I am a Golden State guy, but I just, I just thought we should touch on it because it's topical. I, I will say 
different than the hockey playoffs, which you brought up last time. I really enjoy the hockey playoffs. They're really intense and fun to watch. The NBA is this year very unpredictable, and it seems almost like NBA light. Like, you know, the Celtics won the first game, and we do, we kind of say this in the NFL every year, like, oh my gosh, like, remember Aaron Rodgers last year? Uh, he had the terrible offseason. He started the season with that the worst game ever. He threw three picks, and the Packers got beat, and they're like, Oh my God, the Packers are going to be terrible. And they went 14 and two, I think. Like he was yeah. fine. So, and he's getting another MVP. Yeah. So the Warriors looked really terrible the first game. They were up, you know, 14 points and they lost by 15 or something. Um, this is like the Angels, right? They were up two games and now they're down 10, eight and a half. It's kind of like, it's just, it's just too unpredictable. But I will say, I mean, Steve Kerr is still talking about he was wearing the end gun violence shirt yesterday at the press conference. I just really like Steve Kerr. I mean, I guess that's it. Maybe that's because I'm a Warriors fan. Mark Jackson was coaching there. I would play for Steve Kerr any day of the week, anytime. So he could manage my team, coach my team. But, uh, you know, it's unpredictable. So we're going to have to pick a team. Probably it's going to be a seven-game series. And uh, it's just going to have to come down to who the hottest team is there at the end. So. Yeah, yeah, he's done a very good job, and you know, you're a little more in tune with what's going on with the NBA Finals. I thought it was very interesting to see that first game where the Warriors blew that lead, but you do need a guy like Steve Kerr who's kind of been in the trenches, seen the best, seen the worst, battled through some of these situations. Kind of, ha- if I, I feel like he kind of has that even keel. He's not going to come in, flip tables, scream, yell, try and fight you. He's just going to be like, hey. Seven-game series. Show up tomorrow and see what you can do. He knows he's got a good team, too. But uh, they have been together long enough, I think, to understand how to play with each other. And I agree with you. I'd go out there and play with Steve Kerr, too, just because I think he's a fascinating quote machine. And I th- I would be even more interested in what he says during the game when things are not going well because I don't feel like he gets out of control ever. But uh, I'm a little disappointed in the fact that they have been blowouts, though. I think the NBA probably wanted a little bit tighter series just for TV purposes, but I think the that loss in the first game kind of poked the bear, so to speak, and I think the Warriors may just really make it a point to go out there and slam them and win this series outright maybe in the next three games. We'll see. Gosh, I, I don't have it that. I think it's going to be a, a longer series. The Celtics have a really good team, and I really like their coach that came from San Antonio, Greg Popovich, disciple. Um, Ime Udoku, but, uh, what I was going to, you know, I was going to ask you, maybe this is a fair way to end this is, you know, you played for Bochi, you played for some different managers as we all have, you know, my football coach in high school used to scream at us. Like, you know, you drop the ball or you miss the play. You're supposed to go in motion. You're like, and they would just scream at us and we'd run like suicides with our shoulder pads and helmets on. And you're like, ugh. but like, that doesn't really work at the highest levels. And I'm just wondering, like, what people always want to know, the media is always like, well, what kind of, you know, does he yell at you? Does he do this? Like Steve Kerr's been mic'd up during the games. And he's always like, look, I love your defensive intensity, but you need to do this, this, and this. I mean, I think he's, like you said, very even keel. He speaks. And then, you know, I'm sure in the locker room behind the scenes, there's some more motivational type stuff. But I feel like at this level, the profession, I mean, maybe he's got to pull you aside sometime, like a Draymond Green and say, look, you can't be doing this, or you have to do it this way, or, hey, play, you know, the A.J. Pruszynski theory, like, hey, you can ride the line, but you can't cross it because we need you in the game. Um, what was your kind of, give me one manager that you really, that you bonded with their style of managing and, you know, maybe baseball is a little bit different, but what was the, why, why did you follow that manager or bond with that manager more than others? Well, Bob Milano in, in college was kind of a a hard ass, red ass type guy. So I got along with that. Uh, and that's kind of how I learned to play the game. Uh, and I think he was very similar in Steve Kerr in the sense that he would, it was the build you up, burn you down type thing where he, if he was going to blow you up about something, he would back it up with something else that you were doing well and saying, let's continue to do that well. And you can, the part you just screwed up, you can do as well as you've done other things. So it's make the adjustment kind of thing. Bochi was really good at, at just being positive and even keeled and putting you in situations where he knew you would succeed. I always got to face pitchers that I, I did well against and he always encouraged that type situation. And he was always very good about preparing you, like telling you you're going to play tomorrow. If this guy comes out of the bullpen, this is the guy you're going to face. And then I played for Ozzie Gian, who I love playing for too, who was an absolute friggin' 
you know, emotional <laughs> he was all over mess. The place. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. he, you know, he was a guy that would tear a new one in the media on you. And then the next day you'd do something great and he'd be like, Jeff Blum should be an all-star MVP, get him a new contract. Nice. You know, nice. so it was but you knew what you were expecting. And I it, it, I think that maybe is a little bit of it too, is knowing that you, what you were dealing with, so you didn't get shocked by anything, you know. Uh, so I've had good guys that were both calm and collected and irrational at times. And I enjoyed playing for both of them. You know, the only guy I really didn't enjoy was Lou Pinella for obvious reasons. He was just super negative with not just me, but with everybody on the team. And it kind of drove us nuts. Uh, that was tough to play for, but I like the idea of building guys up and getting encouraging while still kind of mentoring and learning and teaching those guys how to play the game. Yeah, while having a high standard. I think it's funny, Jocko uh, Willink, the Navy SEAL that we've talked about here before, listen to his podcast, has always talked about his, you know, we've talked about his leadership kind of um, books and, you know, his mantra. But he always said that as a, I don't know if an underling, but as a, he always got along with his boss, is what he said. And everyone's like, does that yeah, mean I loved every single books, boss yeah. I ever had? Right, and he goes. Does that mean I I got along with every boss I've ever had, uh, or does that mean I liked every boss I ever had? No, but I got along with every boss. Uh, I think it goes to your personality as well, and maybe um, that I felt the same way. Like I, as a whether it be an employee or an underling, however you want to say it, um, I tried to figure out what the manager style was, like when I was going to be used, how they would, you know, because you know when you strike out against a guy you're supposed to get a hit off. I mean, they they typically wouldn't get mad at you striking out either. That's a that's a wrong. But, you know, going from second to third in front of a ground ball or whatever, things that you're supposed to yeah. know, right? Like exactly. a ground ball in front of you and you run, like you're going to get buried for that, but you're going to bury yourself for that. So understanding the reaction that's coming, I think that comes with maturity. And obviously on this podcast, I mean, we're a few years out of the game. It's a lot easier to handle. But I, I agree with you. I kind of got along with most of my managers. We had a pitching coach one time. I still am in contact with him, at least via LinkedIn. He moves around. Who came in one game, we got beat up, and he smashed a fungo on a table, and he smashed a locker room. And I was like, I did not like that. I didn't like it about him. I didn't like it. You know, the guy's a decent guy, but I thought, all right, mm. you know, it was a little too much. So, but I, I think. I think your answer kind of speaks to you as a player. Like you didn't really care if it was a hot-headed manager, or if it was a, this kind of manager. You'd play for anybody as long as you knew they had your back, and as long as you knew they were trying to make the team as you know strong as possible. I think that's the idea in good leadership: is having the greater good in mind and finding a way to be able to be critical and correct, yet in a positive way to move forward and make your company better, make your your family better, make your team better. But uh, good podcast. I know that uh, our, our good friend Mark Ramos, producer of this podcast, is going to have some fun editing this one. And we appreciate everything he's done. And again, he's making those t-shirts. I know that a couple quotes have come out throughout the season, and he's got them at that Bleacher Blums uh, website. If you want to go figure those, find those and purchase a couple, of, I know a lot of people are posting them on the internet, so we appreciate that. And uh, always at the end of our podcast, we show our appreciation to the military who are doing an amazing job. Speaking of putting themselves in front of of other people's from their own needs they're doing a great job so we appreciate you first responders police fire emts medical everybody who's out there doing the essentials for us to keep us safe and healthy and of course teachers enjoy your summertime i hope you're still listening to this podcast and tuttle close it out yep if you're over the age of 45 don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer and as always on the bleacher blums podcast we encourage you folks to get after it and believe it. Believe it. Game on. Game, Game on. on in the bleachers. <laughs> <laughs>